This is an RNZ podcast. When uh, COVID was hitting, people were dying. The whole mill came together. We all did overtime and so forth because we knew we had to supply the public with the paper. We all got through it. We all got through it, you know, pushing pushing paper through. And then all we wanted was just a bit of uh, thanks and respect from the company. What do we get? Then they come back with this. That's locked out Kawado paper mill worker Bill talking to Marnie Dunlop on RNZ's Midday Report. Bill went on to say he's supporting two disabled grandkids with complex medical needs and has already had to consult his bank on how he can continue financing their care. He ended with this message for the mill's owner, the Swedish-owned multinational Essity. And you're destroying families, that's what I'm saying to Essity. You know, this is a, the, the, you know first it was, was between, um, you know, I, I could see their point of view, but, I mean, gee, you know, I'm starting to hurt. Lockouts are a relative rarity in Aotearoa, with the last one coming in 2016 when tallies locked out meat workers in Wairoa. Essity's move prompted the panel's panellist, Alexia Russell, to dredge up some journalistic days of yore in this exchange with Council of Trade Unions President Richard Wagstaff. This is the bad old days, Richard, isn't it? I mean, these are the days when we actually had an industrial affairs reporter who was working full-time on things like lockouts. And, you know, I remember that latest lockout you're referring to. Some of our reporters didn't even know what a lockout was. Back in those really old days, union membership in New Zealand was around 50%, while today that number has sunk to just under 20%. If workers and bosses are at odds again like in the past, it could partly be because of stories like this. In recent weeks, energy companies Meridian, Mercury and Genesis have shown a combined increase in net profit of $1.3 billion. Meridian's up 55%, Mercury rose 42%, and Genesis is up from a $31 million profit to $221 million. That's almost a 600% increase. That's Simon Dallow on One News listing off some of the eye-watering sums collected by our power gen tailors over the last year. Banks, too, have recorded big profits, while Fletcher Buildings' takings are up 42% to $432 million, a figure that's raised eyebrows given its central role in the recent Jibborg crisis and its refusal to pay back the $68 million it took in wage subsidies. Another business that's been raking it in over the past few years, Purex manufacturer Essity. It posted a $1.5 billion profit globally in 2021, partly on the back of all that COVID-era toilet paper panic buying that had Bill and his colleagues working overtime. This wave of sunny profit announcements from our biggest corporates has coincided with Reserve Bank interest rate hikes which hit workers hardest, along with warnings like this one. There is a risk of a wage price spiral developing. So that's when workers seek higher wages to uh, make up for the increase in living costs um, and businesses start to put up prices in anticipation of that high inflation down the track. So in effect, a self-fulfilling prophecy. That's NZIER Principal Economist Christina Lung talking to Heather Duplessy-Allen on Newstalk ZB. All this is starting to chafe with a band of pro-worker representatives and commentators. In a column for Stuff, Morgan Godfrey argued workers shouldn't be asked to bear the brunt of inflation while corporations post massive windfall gains. In the Herald, Shane Tapo asked why ever-rising corporate profits don't attract the same lingo about a destructive spiral. On RNZ's Afternoons with Jesse Mulligan, first union researcher Edward Miller made the case that actually corporate profits are a bigger driver of inflation than wages. 
in the most recent year, so the year to March 2022. Um, corporate profits in this country had um, spiked by a pretty staggering 39%. Uh, that's another $20 billion. And at the same time, wages, as in the total wage bill of the country, had only increased by about 11 or $12 billion. Few commentators, though, have been as withering about big business as Rebecca Stevenson of interest.co.nz. When national leader Christopher Luxon told a UK audience last month that he thought New Zealand businesses had gone soft during COVID, she responded with a searing opinion piece agreeing with his premise. It took aim at what she called a rat king of regulatory capture, which keeps business profits high at the expense of just about everyone else, particularly workers and consumers. Here's a snippet. We're being milked for everything we have or could ever aspire to have. So those at the top of this grotesque structure of wealth hoarding, asset capture and feral network of lobbyists and associations can keep getting richer. Stevenson is not your usual polemicist political commentator. She's worked as a business editor for Stuff, Business Desk and The Spin-Off. I asked whether business media could do with adopting a more sceptical stance towards our biggest corporations and whether we need a return to those old days Alexia Russell was talking about, where journalists were specifically assigned to reporting the interests of workers and consumers. Kia ora, Rebecca. Welcome to Media Watch. Thanks for having me. We've got the ST lockout on right now. What lessons do you think there is in the ST lockout for business reporters? It's a really fascinating case, I think, of a huge company really exposing itself and its attitude towards its workers, but it's also quite illuminating. And in some ways, I'm grateful as a consumer to understand the business behind these products. So a really interesting case and example for business reporters to dig into. Probably the tone of the media coverage has generally been pretty pro-worker, But do you think it also throws up some questions for the media? Do, whether this speaks to some kind of weakness in our labour laws? What we are often missing in this kind of coverage and in these stories is the context and the depth and linking together these kind of issues that are coming up. And these are not just New Zealand issues. We're seeing a lot of these similar labour issues in the United States, for example, where there's a big push around unionisation. So I think to me that's what's really been missing in this coverage is and then helping us understand, you know, what is really happening in a New Zealand context around worker rights and striking and belonging to unions. Yeah, exactly. And we definitely don't have the same kind of laws, for example, that they have in the United States. You know, worker protections are much, much weaker there. Um, So we do have, you know, a decent sort of suite of laws in New Zealand. And this Essity case is going to test a few of them, you know, around the, the legal notification of the strikes, you know, then the resulting lockout of the workers and these other moves that they are now making. It's been interesting, the response to this one. It's almost kind of surprise that this sort of really intense industrial dispute has sprung up. Do you think that the media is not prepared for this kind of aggressive uh, conflict between workers and business? Look, there is a lot of pro-business coverage, and I think, you know, that does have a value. You know, obviously business reporting is going to 
often report on the views of people running businesses and, you know, bigger businesses and corporations are very well-funded and well-resourced to have people in front of media talking about these issues. And I don't think we're ever going to get away from that. But I think what we really do need to be doing is giving another side and another viewpoint. We had a classic example of that, I think, with the Herald reporting around the Business New Zealand fair pay agreement statements, where they were really allowed to say whatever they thought, and it really wasn't challenged until quite later on to hold people to account. We are there to step into the shoes of the public. Um, So if you are too pro and you're just giving the one side, you're not doing good basic journalism anyway. I guess, are you saying that we should be taking a more sceptical stance towards these businesses like we would politicians or something? Absolutely. We should always, I think, have a sceptical eye, you know, and always be thinking about, yeah, why are people saying what they are saying? But also look at their actions, not the words, which can often be quite in contrast to the things that people will publicly state. It's quite scary taking on businesses and corporations, but I think it's an absolutely critical part of our role is we are meant to hold people to account and businesses to account are no different than politicians. There is a big difference there in that politicians have to answer our questions that are voted in by the public and if they start avoiding scrutiny then there's real consequences. Uh, The same isn't exactly true of businesses so isn't it more of a tricky proposition when the subject of your scrutiny can just tell you to mind your own business and go away? Well, they certainly can do that, but that doesn't mean you don't have to report on them. I mean, I did a piece pretty recently where no one wanted to talk to me, so I wrote about the fact that they didn't want to talk to me. I mean, I think we can scrutinise them without necessarily engaging, but the thing is they do engage a lot. You know, they all belong to, or a lot of them belong to associations and different groups, and they are trying to be involved, and they are influencing, and they are writing submissions, and they are doing things to try and influence policy and influence what's going on and what our government does. I think we need to try and just make them answer. And if they're not going to answer directly, then you need to assemble all of the evidence of the things that they're saying and they're doing and write about them anyway. You know, they are in the game. They're very much playing the game. Otherwise, they wouldn't put all this money behind doing it. So we absolutely need to scrutinize that. And hey, if they don't want to give an interview, fine. But you should absolutely not be deterred by talking about what they're doing and what they're saying to other people, to politicians and the like. You mentioned Business NZ, the Herald reprinting basically a Business NZ press release about the dispute over fair pay agreements. I can think of also some of the coverage of hospitality during uh, the over COVID-19 restrictions or, or sometimes will reprint these perspectives verbatim. Is it because obviously businesses are funding their publications or, or is it perhaps the fact that these corporations, they can afford these dedicated spokespeople and business associations or a bit of all of the above? Yeah, I think it's a bit of all of the above. I think it's, you know, they crank out a lot of collateral and and material. Um, So this stuff is all readily available. You know, it can take a lot more effort and more work to get a 
cafe worker to get a restaurant chef, for example. Um, you know, I would always try and push and ask for people to put real people in their stories and to not only look at, again, what these business owners and cafe owners and restaurant owners are saying, but what they're doing. Because as you've pointed out, I think we see a lot of coverage at the moment with uh, work people saying they can't get workers, but then, you know, let's actually analyze, well, what are they offering them? You know, how much is the pay? What is their um, background as employers? Are they good employers? Um, so I think we do need to be much more critical of these stories, but I understand why they're done. As we talk about, you know, political changes, we want to report on the reaction from businesses, but I think we need to go a bit deeper and keep that coverage coming. One thing you've said is, where is the representative for the little guy, the consumer? I guess you'd say the same thing about the worker. Now, there there are people doing that in the media. I think of maybe Matt Nippet at The Herald or Katie Bradford at One News. But do you think there are maybe not enough stories and not enough reporters and editors seeing things through that lens? Well, that particular comment was really directed at our political leaders and my frustration with them and um, Robert McCulloch from the University of Auckland, who questioned why there's not the strong rhetoric in, in, in backing the public view. And as you pointed out, you know, some reporters are doing that, but I would definitely uh, like to see more of it and like to see media go a bit harder on these issues. Um, I think we're in a state of change. You know, the pandemic has been really difficult, and I think it's a really good opportunity now to sort of have a real look at some of these sort of structural issues. And we are meant to stand in the shoes of the public. All stories should be centred around people as much as possible and just, yeah, talking to regular people. You know, you often see the same faces, you know, the same association heads, the same people. Let's not talk to those people so much anymore. Maybe you want to take a statement from them, that's fine. But do we always have to lead with the same people? I don't think so. You know, and it gets to a certain point to me as well. It just feels like, well, they would say that, wouldn't they? Um, and it gets repetitive. It's a bit boring. Uh, one thing that people say pretty often is we used to have industrial relations reporters. Now, do we need a return of these dedicated labour reporters? I think that would be a great idea. I definitely think within a business team or in a wider newsroom, you start to understand the issues really deeply, the um, regulation that's going on, the different players, and you can start to really delve into, you know, and understand and, and tell the readers that context and that depth. When I read your piece agreeing sort of tongue-in-cheek with Christopher Lux and New Zealand businesses have gone soft. I was just taken aback at how searing it was about New Zealand businesses. You've made it kind of clear that you think the consumer is being screwed here in terms of our regulatory settings. Should more reporters be taking a very sceptical tone towards businesses or even covering some of our regulatory settings as a kind of scandal? Look, I, it is scary and I feel out on a limb. You know, uh, people have told me that uh, they've, I've been upset reading my pieces, made them angry, haven't really had much feedback from the business community. I imagine I'm not hugely popular and I'm not going to many events anymore. Um, but, you know, I think it's imperative for us to do that. You know, I just want to add value as a reporter um, and I just see a real gap there and just a sort of stasis, I suppose. Um, so, yeah, I guess I'm on a bit of a mission to try and shake things up and I would be very grateful if anyone would like to join me.
you know, in New Zealand, we have fairly stringent, you know, defamation laws. And as a reporter, you can be held personally liable. You know, these things keep me up at night. And I imagine it's probably similar for other reporters. So I do understand why people perhaps don't want to do it. Um, But I think it does add some value. You know, it gives us an opportunity to really look at some issues in a really hard way. Is this actually how we want things to be? For me, no, I'm not happy with how things are at the moment and I want there to be more fairness. You know, I'm quite inspired, I guess, when I look around and I look at, you know, the young people on TikTok and, you know, the Starbucks workers and how they are really um, taking on their big employer. And I do want better for them and I want better for young New Zealanders as well. So, you know, I've spoken about it quite a lot on Nine to Noon as well over a number of years. The young people in the in the social media behind it now is really casting a new, fresh light on it, which is really quite exciting, and it's invigorated me in a, in a big way. Hey, thank you so much for joining me, Rebecca. Thank you.